Welcome to the Humor in Games podcast, an analog and video games podcast about how humor is experienced, designed, and analyzed in games. We are Scott DeYoung, Mark Lajeunesse, and Andre Zanescu, and we'll be your guides in this six-episode series. Throughout each episode, we'll break down different theories and forms of humor. We'll draw on interviews with designers, critics, and academics as they discuss the different aspects of humor, their own lived experiences, and how their work utilizes humor in games. This week, we meet with Dr. Dan Staines, a game scholar from Sydney, Australia, who has explored interesting ways of situating morality within video games. Could you tell us a bit about yourself and your work with games as a practitioner, a scholar, or in any capacity that you'd like to talk about? Um, Yeah, so, well, yeah, I'm a game scholar. I originally started as a game critic. Uh, So I've been writing professionally about games since like 2000. And uh, I finished my PhD in 2016, and my sort of area of expertise within games is ethics and morality. So I'm interested in using games as a vehicle to teach ethical skills to people and to sort of be a part of ethical education. And so I sort of derive a lot of my theory from uh, an area called moral psychology, which is basically psychology applied specifically to issues of how people develop more uh, morally and how they uh, think morally and how they act morally. And so, yeah, that's pretty much what I do lately. Uh, so after I did the postdoc with you guys at Concordia in, uh, when was that, 2017 and 2018, uh, I came back here and since then I've been teaching uh, game design. And so that's basically what I do now. I, uh, I construct and teach courses about various aspects for game design for uh private universities here awesome that's it's a very succinct answer i can't believe it's been that long since you were at concordia it's yeah like right how yesterday. yeah this year has just even though this year has been terrible it's gone like that it's gone by so quickly it's weird yeah so uh, more topical as like a, an entry point for our discussion today about humor in games is what is a game uh, that you find to be humorous um I when I think about humor in games, I tend to think about uh sort of humor that's generated playing games rather than actually just games that are meant to be quote unquote funny. Um, because honestly, I think most games that are intended to be funny aren't. Uh like I've never really enjoyed, say, the LucasArts brand of humor that never really tickled me. So I find those games just completely dull. And I mean there are games that are funny, like Portal, for example, is the prototypical example of a funny game. And uh, But for me, humor is about, in video games, is about just playing a game and then just through sheer happenstance or maybe design, something funny happens in the game. So it's like a, a generated humor, kind of like a generated narrative when you're playing games. Yeah. Um, for, for listeners, would you mind... Uh kind of describing a little bit more like that LucasArts brand of humor. Yeah. So, I mean, back in the, I think it was probably started in the late eighties through to say the mid nineties or the mid to late nineties, LucasArts, which was a developer owned by Lucasfilm, who makes the Star Wars movies and such, uh, sort of became famous for developing this brand of adventure games, uh, these point and click adventure games where, they were sort of very sort of uh, self-referential, very sort of ironic, very kind of uh, pop culture driven humor where basically what would happen is they would set up a puzzle and the 
the solution to the puzzle would also be sort of the punchline to the joke that is the puzzle. So you would do something humorous to solve the puzzle and that would be the punchline to the setup. And so, yeah, that was basically a really popular sort of genre for a little bit. And um, it's kind of referenced as like the sort of prototypical example of video game humor. But if you don't find sort of referential comedy funny and you don't find that very kind of traditional setup punchline kind of humor funny, uh, which I don't, uh, you won't get a lot out of those games. And the sort of the big problem with those games, and it's kind of a problem that relates generally to humor and game design, is that the thing that makes the jokes quote unquote funny, the things that makes these sort of solutions to these puzzles funny, is also the thing that makes them sort of difficult to think of when you're actually just trying to solve the puzzle. So like you're approaching this puzzle as kind of like a logical problem, but the solution is this wacky zany thing that the designers want you to do because it's funny. And so you don't, or at least I don't naturally come to that conclusion. So it seems like the comedy and the game design in those games is at odds and it shouldn't be. Yeah. It sounds a lot like a uh, looter narrative dissonance, except. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like a specific kind of looter narrative dissonance, like, uh, like, a, I don't know, comedic narrative dissonance, you might say, or comedic, ludo-comedic dissonance. Yeah. So I, I suppose if that, if that's a situation where humor is sort of at odds with the mechanical aspect of the game, mm. my question would be, you know, what does humor mean for you inside of a game? Like, what would its function be, I guess? Or how would you want it to work? Um... I think it depends on the kind of game because I think I think what makes makes games kind of unique so far as humor goes is that humor really isn't a genre of game like it is say a genre of novel or a genre of movie. Uh, humor is kind of added on top of other genres uh, in a lot of cases. So you know you'll have a funny first person shooter or a funny adventure game, for example. Um, so. Yeah, I think it really depends on what you're trying to do with the game. Um, there are games that do, that are sort of meant to be humorous primarily. Uh, so, for example, uh, Jazz Punk is an example of a game that's basically just supposed to be funny, and that's it. And again, you have that sort of similar problem that you have with LucasArts games. It's a funny game-ish, but it's just not a very interesting game. Like, the, the mechanics that are used to set up jokes in that game are boring to actually play through. Uh, so that's a problem. Um, but again, what I would say that humor is, is in games for me, at least is generative. Uh, it's something that the player does themselves, that the player performs and that basically gives them a greater sense of control and agency over the world. Like a lot of things that game design is meant to do, right? Like primarily as game designers, what we're interested in doing is making plays feel responsible for what happens in the world in some way and i think humor can be a vehicle to that as well yeah that sounds that sounds great and i guess so i've seen you designing a, a bunch of prototypes for analog games when you were here at concordia and it was a, a game project which i don't know if we can talk about on on the podcast the i don't see why not but sure the paparazzi game yeah yeah um, which maybe we can cut out if we're not allowed to talk about it. But I'm I'm curious, like, how do you go about integrating 
that kind of humor in your game projects, if that's even a consideration. I didn't for that. Uh, I used humor and paparazzi basically the same way that humor is used in film and most games, when you think about it, as kind of a, <clears throat> as a kind of palate cleanser. Uh, so, you know, when you have particularly unpleasant or dark material, uh, that gets fatiguing pretty quickly. Um, and so you need something to basically give people a moment to rest and to sort of, you know, have a bit of fun so that they can then go on to continue to do dark and horrible things. Um, so yeah, that, that was, that was basically the, the whole point of humor in that game. And that was very sort of traditional kind of, um, adventure game, visual novel humor, where it was just sort of written, uh, set up punchline kind of jokes or just sort of character based sitcom almost humor. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like it would be adequate to call it sort of a palate, we call it a palate cleanser, but to call it maybe a coping mechanism for? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, it, yeah, it, it definitely helps you get through uh, some of the darker stuff. I mean, this is just, I mean, I, I've been uh, rewatching Breaking Bad because I have literally nothing else to do. And um, one of the things that really strikes me about that show, particularly early on, is just how funny it is. Like, the, it's a very, very funny show, and that gives you the, the fortitude to endure all the horrible, awful shit that Walter White goes on to do. And so, yeah, that's kind of how I thought about it within the context of paparazzi. Yeah, I, I think that's accurate. I had a lot of issues with the early parts of that show for how how rough the content was but also yeah. the absurd shit that happens constantly yeah is. well like a really good example is like in the sort of second episode where uh they uh have to dissolve the body in the bathtub mm -hmm. and right before that horrible scene where the bath the, the roof falls in and all the gore sort of falls down onto the floor uh there's this hilarious scene where jesse is like trying to get the doesn't sound hilarious when I describe it, but it is uh, when Jesse is dragging the body up the stairs and like, you know, he's struggling with it and it falls down the stairs and he's getting frustrated and he's talking to himself. If you didn't have that scene before the, the horror that comes, you wouldn't like, it would just be too much. You would stop watching. Yeah. Incidentally, I think that's what happened to my mom because she watched the show like half engaged. And so I think that the, the bathtub scene was like too much to bear. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's neither here nor there. Um, so, I mean, when you're playing these games or, you know, uh, tr trying to critique them uh, like you did when you were in games journalism or in academia, mm -hmm. is there like a, a threshold that you can, where something becomes humorous to you? Like something that might otherwise just be like a bug or you're like, okay, now this is funny. Um, yeah, I think if they're, if the stakes aren't too high, then you are permitted to find things funny. So like, for example, if you were playing Bloodborne or Dark Souls and a kind of funny bug caused you to lose like 30,000 souls or something, I, I can't see you laughing at that necessarily. But if you're playing, say, multiplayer Super Mario, like on a new Super Mario Wii, 
or whatever it was where you could play uh it's like a side scrolling one where you could play multiplayer if you're playing that and you know you do a jump and somebody else does a jump and they land on your head and you fall down the pit you can find that funny because you respawn straight away right yeah. so the, there's the, there's that kind of investment threshold there where it's like i'm not losing anything here really yeah. Whereas, yeah, like in Dark Souls, you, you've lost potentially hours of progress, so you're not going to find that particularly humorous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe like in a sort of bleakly funny way, like what else can you do but laugh kind of way, but yeah. I, I mean, so maybe jumping ahead, but we, we were going to ask you a question about sort of spectatorship and how mm. that influences. Um humor but dark souls is a very interesting example because i'm pretty sure we may have been both in the same room when that has happened and i did not find it funny but other people around me most definitely found it very funny <laughs> <laughs> and so i suppose that's a lead into sort of thinking how do you think that like secondhand spectatorship or like watching people play games sort of generates new kinds of humor um i don't know if it generates new kinds of humor is just using games to sort of perform what are basically very traditional kinds of humor essentially um so you know for example you'll see a lot of youtubers and there's this kind of subgenre of youtube videos where basically you'll take a very serious game and then just play it in the most absurd ridiculous way possible you know to get to generate laughs and that whole thing is just a farce it's a performance of a farce basically it's just using the game and the mechanics as the kind of stage and story for that farce and so i mean humor is fundamentally like a social phenomenon right like there's a lot of sort of there's a lot of research that basically says that we find things funny er when other people find them funny as well that's why sitcoms for example have laugh tracks because when we hear other people laugh we find things funnier it's uh it works you wouldn't think it does but it actually it totally does work and so i think you're finding that with like like twitch streamers who do funny stuff and youtubers who do funny stuff is that basically yeah we're finding that uh this stuff is funnier when there's other people to to watch it like if if you've ever done that sort of stuff yourself where if you've like sort of sat down and go i'm just going to play this game in the most ridiculous way possible for my own amusement it is pretty fun but it is way, way, way more fun if there are other people in the room with you or on the internet with you that you can sort of quip with and laugh with. No, it's fine. All right. So this, this is kind of where this leads me to here. Is, uh, many years ago now, you and I forget who else was in the room were watching me play. Was Scott was there. Watching me play Red Dead Redemption. In, oh, I remember this. In, in what was a like morally good run as as best as the narrative allows you to be i was only going to do good things and mm. at the behest of the audience uh including mr dan staines and scott young um <laughs> uh i was encouraged prodded gently into tying that man up putting him on the train track <laughs> and then blowing him up with dynamite before the train could crush him <laughs> for the amusement of the crowd which completely changed my run completely changed what i was then going to get out of the game and like every time i went back to it it changed so the, the main question here is what what do you think the interplay is between like the audience the humor coded into the the possibilities of the game maybe and 
and like the the ethical experience like what do you think is happening there like if we can break down that instance that's a complex question um well look i think i think primarily what you're seeing there at least so far as i can see is that you know humor serves a variety of social functions right and one of the social functions is that it sort of uh it strengthens in-group bonds, right? So generally speaking, when you've got a group of people together and there's an opportunity to tell a joke, uh, that opportunity will be taken because everybody can laugh and then humor comes this kind of social lubricant that helps everybody get along. And I think that's essentially what's going on there. Like you had a choice of whether or not you wanted to preserve the sort of purity of your run in that particular game or whether or not it was worth just making a joke out of it to make everybody in the room laugh and to basically you know, strengthen our in-group bonds. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does that scare you as much as it scares me? The way that humor is used for those ends? Yeah. The, the way the, the, way, yeah. the way my entire moral compass for that game completely changed when I had an audience of two. Oh, totally. Yeah, no, I mean, the thing is, is that humor is coercive in a lot of ways. Humor can be used to delineate in-groups and out-groups, and it's always, always served that function. So, for example... I mean, if you look at sort of the history of the Cold War, for example, one of the things that defines American propaganda during that period is that they had this way of characterizing the Soviets and the East Germans as humorless. And so, you know, humor became this kind of delineating, politically motivated sort of in-group identity thing. And it's always been like that. It's actually the power of humor to get people to do things. It's actually a little bit scary. And it's one of the reasons why... When people say things like, oh, it's just a joke, it doesn't matter that it's just a joke, it's bullshit. That, that humor is extremely powerful. Damn, how am I supposed to follow that? <laughs> but I mean, it, it's interesting to think about it that way because it, if I'm thinking about the out-group as well, like the portraying of Soviets seems to like make them more machinic. So it's not, it, it's maybe even more than in and out-group, it's fundamentally humanizing to see yeah. someone laugh like there's a vulnerability that is opened up with that i think yeah exactly i mean the terminator doesn't laugh and you know yeah no that, that, i think that's absolutely right i mean so sorry go, i was gonna say he, i was gonna say he tries in terminator 2 but it doesn't doesn't work out anyway <laughs> well I, I mean you may have preempted this a little bit with bringing up sort of soviets and americans but to what extent do you think that hu humor in games or humor in general is affected by politics? I mean, I think I wouldn't say the humor is inherently political, but I think it very obviously is political in a lot of ways. And like I said, uh, I think that humor serves so a very obvious function is creating in groups and out groups. And I think you'll see that in games like, and Mark, you could probably speak to this, uh, games like uh, League of Legends, games like Dota 2 where you have these very toxic communities that seem to be driven in part by the kind of humor that they partake in. Like if you like this kind of humor, this kind of sort of, you know, racist kind of quasi ironic humor, then you're part of the in-group. And if you don't, then obviously you're just, you're just a, a cuck or whatever, you know, they want to call you this week. And so what you find with those communities too, is that, They've sort of they've done studies on you know how humor kind of permits people 
to say things that they wouldn't ordinarily say because when you say things humorously right you can always just go oh it's just a joke you know so you don't need to take me seriously and so on and so forth and so what that does is that little by little it sort of moves the the boundaries of what is acceptable to say the more you accept these kind of sort of racist quasi-ironic jokes the more genuinely racist and less ironic they become over time so you get this sort of self-perpetuating cycle and i think that's basically what's happening in communities like that it's why they're so almost irredeemably toxic is because uh you know they they all started out being like lol just jokes but you know given a couple of years now they're just genuinely racist so speaking of humor sort of as a precursor to the serious argument so it's memed first and then it becomes yeah because it's like plausible deniability in humor you can say the most heinous racist shit and then if people react really badly to it then you can just go oh no i was just joking but when people don't react badly to it then you can be like well maybe i wasn't joking so much you know what i mean yeah so just to go back you also mentioned that you don't think that humor is inherently political so given that you know we've been talking about like these sort of political applications or politicizing it what do you think that apolitical or like unaffected by politics humor would look like oh it's like slapstick humor for example i mean there are i mean you could make an argument that there are certainly elements of class in traditional slapstick humor but i'm talking about like the humor that i described before in super mario for example when someone bops my head and i fall down a pit that's just funny i mean that's just funny and there's no political or social implication to that i don't think unless you i mean you could read it really hard and maybe say that it's sort of i don't know like making violence acceptable or something but i think that would be a stretch yeah it definitely seems like it and i i think we did have a few respondents talk about sort of just slapstick or body humor that is like not necessarily aggressive it's just mm. kind of we all go through it and therefore it's inherently funny because of that embodiment yeah yeah exactly yeah. so i mean now that we've been talking about humor and games and its application for a little bit i'd like to go back to well what you're doing now right so you're you're teaching mm -hmm. uh game design if i'm understanding yeah, that's correctly. Right. yeah yep. so how does this happen like how does this work in your classroom do students seem drawn to certain types of humor do you teach them how to how to talk about it or how to express it in their games or is it like not really a part of it isn't really have? uh to be honest i can't recall ever talking about humor within the context of game design in the classroom i mean i think it may get brought up in the context of sort of onboarding so for example when you're designing tutorials humor can be a really effective way of getting people to remember stuff key information if you make the jokes but um that's really about the extent of it it's like i said before there aren't really humor games they don't really exist and so there's no real uh design patterns for them there is an emerging discipline within the scholarship so there are people working in scholarship that are trying to sort of think about humor as its own genre within games and and sort of thinking about you know design patterns that you can use to design humorous games but just at a practical level at a uh you know first year second year university student level it's just not something that 
is really relevant, to be honest with you. Yeah. So that emerging body of is it more is it more theoretical in nature, or is it somehow is it like uh, what we would call research creation, or how does it how does it develop and develop? Uh, as far as I can remember, uh, who who was actual author? It's uh, Dorman and Biddle, and they were actually working out of University of uh, Toronto, I think, or something like that. They're Canadian in any case. Um, and so as far as I understand what they're doing, they're basically uh, watching people play, play games. So it's sort of uh, it's uh, observation-driven. It's empirical in a sense. And they, they watch people play games, and then they get them to talk about what they found funny in those games, and then they sort of they're, they're constructing commonalities from that and then using that to derive kind of principles for design so it's as far as i understand it's pretty much entirely theoretical at this point like it hasn't actually been applied to designing funny games but i mean it's also as far as i can tell fairly new so it'll be a while until we see that happen i think yeah that makes sense i'm curious so i mean as far as far as i know you and Mark talked and researched a lot about humor and games way before I got on this project. So we have some like I theoretical ideas about how humor works in games, but do you think about that stuff still? Are there pieces of humor theory that are important to you that you can think of? I, I am interested as a design problem, how to approach generative humor in games. So how do you give players the tools that they need to actually produce humor? What are the, what are the nature of those tools and can they be sort of generalized across different genres or are there sort of genre specific tools and techniques that you need to develop? Uh, beyond a general interest in that question though, I honestly haven't done a lot on it. Like uh, I've done a bit of reading and I've sort of sketched out some general ideas, but nothing concrete at this point. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, it's so what more... do you, what are you guys thinking about in this regard? So you said that you've, you're sort of starting to think of some uh, general theories for how uh, humor works in games. What are, you, what are you thinking about? Well, Mark can jump in if he wants to. I'm at the point now where I'm mostly combing through the research that Mark did a while back. So I'm familiarizing myself with theories to figure out how to talk to people about them while we're doing this mm -hmm. podcast, but also figuring out as we're doing the podcasts, if there are outliers or pieces of humor theory that are that seem to pop up more in our interviews, uh, mm -hmm. like stuff about incongruent humor or incongruous humor, seems to pop up a lot. A lot of people talking about like dissonance between what's expected and what comes out of the game experience and that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, that's like as far as I understand, that's sort of the dominant paradigm in the psychology of humor at the moment. So, I mean, there are a few sort of eras of humor research in psychology. Uh, for the longest time, like through, say, Aristotle through to Freud, the basic idea was that humor is essentially a form of superiority. Like you laugh at people when you feel more powerful than them or superior to them. And so, yeah, over the last, I think, 50 or 60 years, that's kind of given away to, yeah, the idea that basically humor is sort of a resolution of incongruity or the resolution of the unexpected. Well, I think current thinking, at least from what I've seen, is that basically, as is often the case with a lot of these theories, is that they're all kind of right in a way, and that a lot of times jokes will involve elements of, yeah, 
superiority relief in and in Nogaruni. So, yeah. There's an interesting thing too, where I was I was going over some of the Dorman and Biddle stuff, and they still make a claim that there's like a fundamental component of aggression in humor, of like opposition to the material that you're viewing. But we got some people recently who were talking to us more about like self-reflective humor or like things that are non-aggressive or wholesome memes. And I'm trying to think of if there's a way to move away necessarily from thinking of sort of the NPC falling on its face is necessarily the only way that the NPC can be funny. Mm-hmm. Like maybe maybe there are other forms of incongruence that can take us there. Um, I mean, there's also like, even when we're talking about NPCs and AI and sort of figuring out where that line is, I, I'm still thinking of like people who made fun of like Eliza text generators or like the Wolfram Alpha text generators and the chatbots. Mm. And those are completely disembodied AI, but people meme them anyways. Yeah, well, that's actually, I mean, have you ever, have you ever played Fashad? Uh, I haven't. It's a, Fashad is kind of a, an academic game developed by, I think, the University of California or some Southern California possibly anyway uh it's basically this experiment in kind of generative narrative and it uses like as an interface the, the basic premise of the game is you go to this apartment and you're you're there and the couple who owns the apartment are having marital difficulties and that becomes evident over the course of the evening and then how you interact with them determines basically how their marriage turns out essentially and so what makes Fashad kind of unique is that it uses this kind of uh, natural text, natural language interface. So basically you type in what you want to say and the computer does its best to sort of understand and respond appropriately. But of course, the computer is awful at it. Like, you know, it, does, it misunderstands most of what you say, particularly if you go in with the intention of fucking with it, which is like, as far as I can see, like 90% of people play facade with that exact purpose that's exactly what i did the first time i played it it's like i want to test the limits of this thing and so of course you go in and you say all these heinous things to them and you say all these ridiculous non sequiturs and they respond as though you're taking them seriously and it's hilarious and so there are heaps of youtube videos of people doing this and i think that sort of speaks to the same thing that you're talking about with the chatbots it's essentially an upgraded version of that and i think it points to again what makes games unique and interesting in terms of humor is that players are going in and subverting games for humor they're 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 using games as a kind of tool in their performance would you call that as a would you think of that as a engineered form of incongruence like knowing that there is an intended use for the game engine and then completely saying i'm going to do it the opposite way because that's funny engineered by who the player yeah yeah no definitely i mean obviously yeah like uh if you're going in to just basically yeah play with what the game can do then yeah it's it's a you're you're engineering opportunities for the game to mess up and be funny yeah Uh, it's interesting because i think we we've been talking to a lot of people who make games or who are artists mm. or who are uh academics but i don't think many of them have talked about their experiences playing a game in that kind of way which is 
100% not like, or, or they haven't talked about anything like Mark was talking about with the train tracks, right? Where it's like, okay, we're going to do this thing now mm. because it's going to be hilarious because it's so outlandish in terms of what the game expects you to do. But I mean, that, and it, but if you go online, like if you, you know, browse Reddit or Twitter, when people talk about funny stuff in games, that tends to be what they talk about. I mean, there's like, there's an entire subreddit called Game Physics where it's basically just laughing at hilariously bad or glitchy game physics. That seems to be where a lot of the focus in the actual sort of way that gamers are talking about humor is on, like that kind of generative stuff. Do you think like meme culture or message board culture has accelerated that kind of the proliferation of that kind of humor? Oh, I think so, definitely. Yeah, because like uh, with sort of, you know, current sort of technology, you can basically just grab short clips of gameplay and slap a caption on them or not. And then you've got sort of instant content that's going to do well on kind of social media platforms. So, yeah, I think there's I think there is a kind of a a relationship between the two they're kind of self-reinforcing in a way yeah i'm I'm trying to think about like now other other bizarre forms of engineered <laughs> humor that players are injecting into the the games or their game experiences the really funny stuff i think is when it's just completely out of the blue and that would make sense with respect to sort of incongruity, uh, incongruity theory like you know when you're totally not expecting something so one of the re probably the funniest thing that I can ever remember in a game was I was playing uh, Quake with my brother, and we were playing against like bots, AI controlled opponents, and I just sort of at random fired this rocket off, and we sort of left it there, and we were you know there was like a couple of seconds passed, and then like five seconds passed, and then eventually in the distance you hear this dink, and then like the screen flashes up and it says that I've got a kill. And it, was just, and it was just like the timing of it was so so perfect everything about it was completely perfect and it was completely random completely unexpected and it wasn't it was completely unengineered both by me and the designer but of the game but it was still hilarious and that's the kind of stuff that i tend to remember and that's the kind of stuff those are the kinds of experiences that i would like to provoke in players without cluing them into the fact that it is engineered if you know what i mean because i think i think and this is why my problem with games like jazz punk um i think when it's so obvious that you're being sort of manipulated into a jokey situation when it, when the sort of strings become a little too obvious um it, the humor of it dissipates it can still be funny but it's less funny so how would you feel then about the sort of humor that's been uh, I think a lot more prevalent maybe in these last couple of years in sort of game show games. So like Fall Guys, for instance, is making the rounds now, but there was stuff like Nidhogg when you were at the lab or Ultimate Chicken Horse. Like these are games that seem much more geared to do, to, to that are obviously meant to be funny, but also that are so wide open for players to generate all of their interactions. Hmm. I love that stuff. I mean, what what's interesting about all those games is that they're essentially all the same kind of generative humor. It's all slapstick. I mean, and so it's all slapstick slash physical humor, but I mean, it's basically the same. And so that kind of points maybe to a limitation with respect to the design of humorous games because, and, and it's a limitation that extends to other sort of areas that are sort of 
as socially important as humor, like ethics. Um, is you know, it's much easier for video game developers to simulate physical interactions than it is to simulate social interactions, right? It's really hard to simulate social agents, but it's pretty, well, not easy, but relatively easy to simulate physical agents. And so I think you're seeing that reflected in the kind of humor that does well in video games. It tends to be very physically oriented, tends to be very kind of slapstick in nature. Yeah. Speaking of, of ethics too, I do want to go back a second because you mentioned, for instance, including humor in paparazzi really more like a salve for content mm. that was serious. How do you think that humor kind of interacts if you're trying to teach ethics with a game or if you're like, I'm going to make a serious game about an ethical dilemma? Does the humor um, generally help? I don't know. I mean, I think it helps in a sort of general sense that basically, like I said before, humor can help you remember things that you might not otherwise remember. I mean, you've sort of got to be careful with that, obviously, when you're talking about like darker content. But uh, other than that, I mean, there is an interesting sort of analogy between humor and ethics in that if you wanted to, you could make the case that they're both essentially aesthetic judgments if that was kind of your inclination, if you're kind of a, a hardcore relativist or like a solipsist or something, you could basically just say the humor and ethics are essentially just different kinds of aesthetic judgments. I don't buy that necessarily. I think there's a qualitative difference between them. Um, but other than that, like, I don't know whether that's something you could explore productively in a game or not. It's certainly not something that I've tried to explore. It seems pretty complex and daunting, honestly. Yeah. I'm thinking of like more maybe more recent uh, proceduralist uh, theoretical research, like Ryan Michael Skolnick's stuff is really about like people who try to make interventions in video games. What does an intervention mean in this case? Yeah, so he was doing, I think he was looking at like uh, from a psych perspective more, but for instance, people who were staging anti-war protests in like CSGO, they were, I think they were saying his research found that like if the protest was very visible, if it was somebody like holding up signs or, or drawing stuff that would be like, please don't hurt me, people would get the ethical message, but would be less inclined to accept it because it was so overt. But when it was mixed with more humorous content or if the people decided, for instance, to only use slaps uh, as like a, an anti-gun message, then people would be less inclined to disagree with the message, but would also have a higher difficulty with assimilating the content. Yeah, right. So it's this weird thing where I'm thinking like, maybe if the joke is too strong, then it actually like, it's like you're aware that there's medicine, <laughs> so you don't want yeah. to do it. Well, there's actually, yeah, there's a sort of, there's interesting research on humor and knowledge retention and what they've found is that if people know they're going to be sort of tested on the knowledge that you're giving them, uh, the humor will be less effective in terms of them actually remembering stuff. And after a while, they'll actually come to resent it. So um, maybe that's a case where, you know, you in video games, you have this very, particularly multiplayer video games like Counter-Strike, right? Like you've got very sort of goal-oriented behavior and you're essentially being tested every moment you're in the game. And so maybe in a kind of context like that, people kind of will just naturally resent humor that interrupts their ability to play the game and to achieve their goals. Right. 
No, I, I think that makes that tracks, especially with earlier when you were saying that humor doesn't really work in games the way it works in movies. As you don't have like a comedy genre of games the same way that mm -hmm. you have comedy movies. And so if you're thinking of it as like a vector of action, it might actually be counterproductive to like goal oriented action. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that's probably true. Sorry, I I should be talking less. <laughs> this is an interview, not not no, me no. talking. No, not at all, not at all. Um, but I, I suppose, you know, also I, I do want to circle back a little bit to when we were talking earlier about in and out groups with humor, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and I think that's a very fruitful discussion to have about video games. Do you think, for instance, that humor can be hurtful to people who are playing games? Oh sure, yeah, absolutely. I mean, do you mean humor is in humor from other people directed at people who play games? So basically, jokes at other people's expense. I mean, in any way you can think of, I guess. Oh, but absolutely. That... Yeah, of course. I mean, games are just a medium through which humor is conveyed, and all humor has the potential to be hurtful. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think people who say that you know, oh, it's just a joke. You you can't take a joke. Who never really had a really nasty joke directed at them. Yeah, absolutely. Humor can hurt. Yeah. Do you do you think that like that's just built into that? This it's just a joke, or it's just a game mentality. That's an interesting idea, actually. Yeah, that's a very interesting idea. I hadn't considered the sort of linkages between those two. That basically being in a game not only sort of almost gives you extra permission to be cavalier with your joking and to basically say, oh, look, it's not only, it's not even real life. I'm not, A, it's just a joke, and B, it's not even real life. Yeah, I hadn't actually thought about that. It'd be interesting to sort of do kind of like a study of people who make those kinds of jokes in games like Dota and LOL and to basically ask them, you know, uh, you know, whether it, see whether or not they justify it, not only by the fact that it's a joke, but also by the fact that they're just playing a game. Yeah. No, it's interesting, and I and I think like for a lot of games where people are are interacting socially and and they are delineating those like in and out groups, that excuse pops up. Like, I I feel like I probably did some absolutely terrible things to other people when we were playing World of Warcraft, and I was a teenager who's trying to be edgy mm. because it was just a game. But if I would have done it in real life it would not have been like a good idea yeah and i mean in some ways you could perhaps make the argument that games are useful in that respect that it's kind of almost like a quote-unquote safe environment for you to practice what would otherwise be socially undesirable behavior and to sort of purge you of them in a sense or you know basically just give you an eye a way to sort of let out those impulses um but i think that's that that would be true in a single player context uh, but in a multiplayer context, obviously, when it comes at the expense of other people, then it's a, it's a whole different ballgame. That was our interview with Dr. Dan Staines. Thanks again to the Tag Lab for supporting this series, and thanks to you for listening.